Welcome to Talking Supply Chain. In each episode, top supply chain industry professionals and the nation's top thought leaders join host Brian Strait and share their unique insights to help supply chain managers stay one step ahead of their competition. This is Talking Supply Chain. Hello and welcome to Talking Supply Chain. My name is Brian Strait and I'll be your host for today's discussion on women in the supply chain. Specifically, we're going to be talking about Gartner's recent research on the topic. Joining me today is Caroline Chomakov, Director Analyst in Gartner's Supply Chain Practice. Uh, welcome, Caroline. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. It's great to have you here. Um, talk about this. Um, we're going to get into some of the top line results from the recent survey, or recent, yeah, recent survey you guys did um, released in June, the end of June. On, on women in supply chain. Uh, we'll dig a little bit into some of the research and some of the things could maybe beyond the headlines on it um, with you. But I um, wanted to start, if you could, can you tell us, just tell our audience a little bit about yourself and a little bit about the history of Gartner's Women in Supply Chain Survey, which was, I think this was its eighth year. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I've been at Gartner for a little over nine years now. All of my research is focused on the people side of supply chain and operations. So I do research on talent, which includes DE&I, gender diversity, um, as well as other topics like change management and communications. So I'm always focused on the people side. And you're right, the, the survey for women in supply chain has been run for eight years now. We actually built it in partnership with a group called Awesome. They're a nonprofit focused on advancing women's supply chain leadership. And we developed it because we felt like there was a bit of a white space when it came to looking at gender representation in supply chain uh, and supply chain roles. So we have been doing an annual survey ever since. And it's really focused on, again, looking at representation, but also looking at some of the things we do to improve gender diversity in supply chain. Yeah. Yeah. So the, as I looked at the, at, at this one, um, the survey, I'll look at the, the big thing that jumped out to me was this 26% number. Um, you know, that was the big thing that, you know, 26% of C-suite uh, members in executive level roles are now held by women um, in the supply chain. So those roles include uh, chief supply chain officers, senior vice presidents, um, executive vice presidents, chief procurement officers, and like. So that was up from 19% last year. So a 7% jump this year, and it's an all-time high, um, as, as you guys noted in the release. I was curious from your perspective, as you did the survey, um, if you found any underlying reasons why, the, why there was such a big jump this year. Um, I know in past years, it kind of moved up and down a little bit at a time, but 7% seems like a big jump in one year. So is there anything that you saw there or or that might have suggested why we we got this big jump this year? Yeah, it's it, it's absolutely a, a huge jump, Brian. So we and, and it surprised us as well in a good way. Um, I think I wanted to shout it from the rooftops when I first saw it. <laughs> yep. um, but there are a few reasons why we might have seen this jump. So um, we have some data in our own survey that shows that organizations that are at least creating some kind of general objective around gender diversity. So they're saying, you know, we, we want to improve representation of women in supply chain generally. They tend to see better representation across roles. Now, organizations that go to the next level and actually build targets into management scorecards, they see even better representation. And the percentage of supply chain organizations doing one of those two things has been going up steadily over the past eight years that we've been doing the survey. So one, I think all of that is paying off. We're seeing it even at the executive level. But also, 
particularly in the U.S., but even globally, we saw this spike in early retirements over the pandemic. So yeah. there was a, a lot of people clustered at the top of the organization that ended up leaving. There was a max mass exodus of senior leaders, which opened up a lot of space for women to fill the void. And I think because there is this focus on gender diversity objectives and targets, there were real discussions of who is the who is the slate for these executive leadership positions? And I think that explains this this big, great yeah. jump that we saw at that level. And and I wanted I wanted to get to that a little bit later um, about the women. But to me, it, it's it, it, it's the growth of women in in the workplace, right? In the supply chain workspace, place specifically, that they're in positions, right, to take advantage of the opportunities. Now, these opportunities are being presented with, the, as you said, the retirements, yeah. um, the people leaving. And if they weren't in the positions, if you know, to take advantage of that, they w- those jobs wouldn't have gone to women anyway, right? I mean, it's, so Absolutely. It, it's, they got to get into the position to do that. And I, I think I want to get into it in a little bit how you get into that position um, a little bit later. Um, but I, I think that's reflected in, in one of the other numbers that came out of the report, which is that 41% of the supply chain workforce is now women, um, which sound, you know, sounds really good. You know, compared to the overall U.S. workforce, just to put some context around that, women make up about 52% of the overall U.S. workforce. So mm-hmm. supply chain is a little behind the overall workforce. Um, but compared to some other sectors, I, as I was looking, we're doing much better in the supply chain, right? <laughs> yes. Manufacturing, for instance, is about 29%, agriculture at 26 um, transportation utilities, 24 So, you know, supply chain is certainly doing much better than some of those other industries. But I wonder, is, is there more that needs to be done so that we can get more women and, and grow that number? And, and do we need to get it to a number that's more reflective of the general workforce overall? And, and the, um, I think, I, I forget what, it's about 52% of the population is female as well in, in the United States. So I, I assume you want to, you'd like, love it to be in the same kind of uh, realm of what the general population is as well. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the ideal would be a, a 50-50 uh, breakdown in, in every organization. That, that's the ideal. But um, to your point, we do battle uh, this number of 41%, which is something to celebrate this year. Um, it was a jump up from 39% last year. Um, and to your point, we do see better representation when we compare ourselves to other sectors. So yes, let's celebrate. But um, I do think there's more that we need to be doing. I think there's things we can be doing within the organization itself so we actually, as part of this survey, you know, we started asking respondents, you know, for those of you that are seeing progress, why are you seeing progress? What are the things that seem to be working? And there were two responses that really floated to the top. One was improving development of women. And this was particularly important for those people seeing progress at the manager or senior manager level. So they're saying, you know, we saw progress in getting women to those first couple layers of management because we developed them. We created development programs for them. You know, we we mentored them into those positions. The other thing is inclusion. So inclusion, leadership inclusion has become so important, especially for those senior leadership positions like vice president, CSCO, EVPs, SVPs, because essentially those succession planning meetings, calibration sessions are so dependent on seeing the the truth of performance rather than just fit. And so leadership inclusion has become important. So one, we should try those things. Um, I do think there's something to uh, actually 
looking a little uh, further back into education, how do we get in front of younger and younger women to talk about what a career in supply chain can look like and the, the wonderful things that they could be doing along a career path in some of these roles? Yeah, and you talk um, you talk about the inclusion, right, and and, and getting women into the positions um, to do that. I I think from my perspective, and and yeah, there were a lot of companies out there for years and years, right? It was very difficult. It was the old boys club, right? I mean, that's that's what it was, um, and and those people they tended to hire people like themselves, and that didn't mean women. It didn't mean blacks, uh, Asians, etc. Um, I mean, it's not so. What have you, have you seen a shift in companies um, as you talk to companies and things? Have, have you seen a, seen a shift in their attitudes towards inclusion as opposed to forcing inclusion, but actually just embracing inclusion? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, it's it's interesting because I, I think, um, you know, one, we've seen an increase in those organizations focusing on, on unconscious bias training. So just making sure that there is some kind of exercise where we're talking about inclusion, but even more so I, I see organizations taking it to the next level where they're saying, you know, in order to be a good leader, you have to be an inclusive leader. So for example, some companies are saying, let's take a look at our leadership development programs, like the management 101 content that we develop and how do we talk about inclusion in those modules, those learn the learning content that we share. So rather than saying inclusion is a check the box exercise, inclusion is just this thing we do once a year, it's how we do leadership, it's how we do uh, our performance discussions. It's how we coach people. It's how we do our, um, you know, our calibration sessions. So ideally, you know, we're, we're seeing how inclusion is embedded in the day to day and it, it isn't a, a check the box exercise for managers or leaders. Yeah. Yeah. And this, and the survey indicated that it kind of leads into my next question here. Um, I mean, we've talked a little bit here about the executive level, right. And getting more uh, people there, but you know, the idea is to include women more generally in the supply chain profession at lower levels. Um, one of the numbers in your survey was frontline representation, which was 31%, um, lower than the overall. So I was hoping you could kind of explain a little bit about what, when you when you refer to frontline, for those that may not know, what, what does that actually represent? What kind of roles are considered frontline? Are, are these managers on the lines? What would you consider frontline representation? And I guess, and maybe this ties to the education component that you mentioned a minute ago, um, what do we need to do to try to increase those opportunities in the front lines, right, which will then lead, feed your executives of tomorrow? Yeah, so maybe we start with that definition of frontline. So at Gartner, we, we define frontline worker as any worker that's required to be on a company site or at a physical work space, which could include a vehicle at least 90% of the time. So they're on site most of the time. And so, you know, this is the operators, pickers and packers in DCs, your truckers, right? And in some cases also customer service representatives. So really anyone that is on site most of the time. And um, absolutely the, the, the data around frontline representation of women is pretty sobering given that they are only 31%, uh, which is 10% lower than the total across all positions in supply chain, we have a lot of work to do. Absolutely. And you know, most, most of the organizations that we surveyed, we asked them, like, what are you doing to get 
women into the organization to attract them and develop them and promote them. And most of them, 57% are focused on things like gender diversity newsletters, DEI newsletters, employee resource groups, essentially employee engagement efforts. And uh, but only six percent of the companies that are doing those things actually say that they're effective. So <laughs> instead, um, we we also asked, okay, what is working for frontline positions? And there was a clear winner, and it was work flexibility. So work flexibility was seen as the most effective initiative for attracting and retaining women on the front line. And it makes sense when we think about the nature of frontline roles, we're already a little bit less flexible in that we're asking people to come on site 90% of the time. And, you know, particularly in, uh, you know, even in the United States, women can still shoulder the, um, the household responsibilities. And so there's a little bit of juggling that has to happen when considering whether to take a frontline position. Now, there is, to your point, that the discussion around education as well. So is there a, a branding issue that we need to deal with uh, around frontline positions? I think that there is. And there's there are companies that are trying to get in front of high school students to talk about pathways into manufacturing and to logistics. And I, I do think that this, you know, the, those kinds of programs should absolutely be um, building diverse slates, you know, students that are both men and women that would want to move into these types of professions. But plenty of work that we still need to do on the front line to make sure that women are are included and that we're thinking about flexibility as a as a lever can you when you, when you talk of the flexibility can can you share um any examples of what that would look like i mean like like you said i mean many of these jobs require you to be there so i think when a lot of people think of flexible work arrangements they're thinking about the ability to be able to work from home and and maybe some of these positions you can do that right but many of these positions you can't you've got to be on site to do that so can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing or, or what you're hearing from companies when they when they talk about creating the flexibility what what are they offering what what options are out there yeah we we almost have to expand that definition of flexibility because traditionally we've only thought of it in terms of where people work so on site or at home or in an office those are right. you know the definitions that we would use but flexibility can be how much someone works on what they work with whom they get to work, and even um, and even where the the when of when they get to work, so when they start and when they stop working. So those are the the levers of flexibility that we might try to pull. So yes, we we can't necessarily change the fact that our frontline positions are on site most of the time, but we could change shift lengths or times. We could um, allow flexibility in terms of what activities are done at home. Um, there are certain companies that are pushing team meetings or pre-start meetings or trainings to home. So doing it virtually rather than asking people to come on site. Um, we could even think about flexibility in terms of uh, who employees get to work with. So I've seen some interesting cases where we allow employees to to select who they'd prefer to work with, even allowing uh, employees to to self-form their own teams on site and even what they get to work on. So I've seen where some uh, on-site managers can post work that isn't complete and any employee at the site can actually sign up to complete that work and, and to, to do it. So we what I recommend is thinking beyond this 
this uh, where definition of flexibility to all the other forms of flexibility that we can offer as an attractor for women. I, I think that's something, I mean, not just with women, but workers in general, that since COVID, we've, companies have kind of learned this, right? And that there is a lot more to employee happiness than just good pay. Yes. Um, you know, and I, I think that, that that extends to everybody um, and, and certainly providing some, some of that flexibility, some of that, some of those options to make people happier in their job. Happier employees are more productive employees, right? I mean, that's what we've always heard for years. Um, so, and, and I think everybody just always assumed it's like, well, we just need to pay more. And, and that's not necessarily <laughs> the answer. I mean, it, I'm sure it helps. I mean, nobody's going to complain about that, yes. but, but yeah. there, are other, there are other answers out there as well um, yes. to do it. Um, we've, we've touched a little bit on, uh, I mean, you, you touched a little bit, I should say, on leaders and, and I, I guess role models, if, if you can kind of call them that, right? And getting females and women into executive positions provide, I think, that view that for people coming into the industry, right, as you're attract, trying to attract new women to the industry, to say, hey, there is a career trajectory here if I want to do that. I can achieve these things. Um, I, I think a great example that I've seen a lot is Shelly Simpson. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, she's very prominent out there in the industry. And um, it, it shows that hey, women can be CEOs and exec and top executives, and and among the top minds as well. Um, that there's not. So, can you talk a little bit about you know how important that is to be able to attract more women to the industry? That that, that these women make it into visible positions, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. We so actually we did have a finding in this survey that when a woman is in the most senior role of an organization, it translates into better representation across every single level of the organization. So from my perspective, this has some pretty big implications in terms of visibility. So if if we have women at the top ranks, there is this inspiration for women at lower levels to reach higher and to to push up the ranks into the organization. So one, I think there's there's a huge opportunity for us to celebrate those women at the, the top of our organization, um, but also to think about some of the sponsorship initiatives that we might have. You know, we tend to focus a lot on mentorship and getting women to higher levels of leadership, which is important because they're often less likely to receive mentorship from the moment they step into an organization. But sponsorship is really what gets uh, women into, really any person into executive leadership positions. So we want to think about, is are there real sponsors, senior leaders that are aligned to our high-performing women that are ready for that level? And are they advocating for them in the work that they do in those promotion, discussions, calibration, success, and succession planning meetings. So yes, we need to celebrate, uh, make visible women in, in our top leadership ranks and, and also think about the sponsorship that gets them there in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think research like this um, that you guys do, um, that organization you mentioned, awesome. Um, or at the beginning there, um, I mean, that that's the goal, right? Is to, is to celebrate this, but also to show that there are opportunities out there for you. You know, you, you don't have yes. to settle for that if you don't want to. Um, I wanted to shift gears just a little bit, um, kind of talk some bigger picture stuff and 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 maybe as I teased in my opening, um, get into some insights that maybe you're not 
that you that you found in the thing that you find interesting that maybe you're not out there so much right in, in the public domain yet um I'll, I'll start with this though that i don't uh you said you've been at gartner for nine years this is the eighth year of the survey i don't know if you've been involved every year or not but can you talk about some of the trends that you've seen over time from this survey and and you know which which direction things seem to be heading in some of those areas yes so there are a few clear trends that we've seen year over year uh, one of the I'll, I'll start maybe with the, the the sad news which is of course that every time we look at representation data which we tra- have tracked every year for the eight years that we've done this there's always that decline of representation of women as we look up the ladder of the organization so we always have more people more women across the total workforce than we do at the C-suite level, of course. Yeah. So one, that has always been true. And there's it, it only tells us that there's more work we need to be doing. But on a, on a positive note, there are a few things that have, have been really clear and that, that seem to be working. So one is that when, when men are involved in these gender diversity discussions and initiatives, uh, we tend to see more reported progress. And that makes a lot of sense for a few reasons. One, men still do make up most or the majority of senior leadership positions. So if you think about mentorship and sponsorship, we really need men to be involved in those activities because they're in leadership positions. So one, obviously, they play a big role in driving change at a senior leadership level, making sure that talent processes are inclusive. But also, we show them... Uh, we, we essentially sh- allow them to understand the experience of women within supply chain. So when men are involved, they they can see what it feels like to be a woman on the front line, for example, or what it feels like to be a woman in any of our supply chain functions. So getting men involved has been a trend uh, for, for multiple years that we've tracked it. We also, I mentioned inclusion as well, and this is something that we've seen for Uh, quite a few years now that we've been looking at the initiatives that work. So inclusive leadership, where we're embedding inclusion in day-to-day manager or leadership activities, even driving some accountability for inclusion in management scorecards, for example, are are leading to success. So this is driving progress. Now, of, of the many years that we've run this, there's also a clear finding that when you have an objective for gender diversity, just saying we want to see improvement, we want this to be an objective for the organization, or maybe even more importantly, when we set targets, we see progress. You know, what we measure matters. And so when we, like anything else in supply chain, when we measure it, we, we tend to see progress. So those are, are some of the things that have kind of echoed through the years of doing this survey and, um, continue to, to come up year and, and, and year again, even yeah. through, you know, big changes like, like the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that, I mean, that all makes sense, right? I mean, I, we've heard that in so many other areas as well. So it would make sense that it would go here and, you know, it, the more, more somebody knows about something and the subject, the better understanding you get of it, the, the better opportunity you have to improve the situation if need be. Um, wanted to ask you, we got a, f- a few minutes left. I want to get to a couple more quick questions if we can here. Um, I think big one is, you know, you Gartner put out a release. The re, you have the report available um, for people that can get to access it if they want to. But can you share, you know, maybe a hidden nugget or two from the from the survey that you had that you know that you found really interesting, perhaps that maybe 
or is not in the biggest not the, the biggest item, right? Not the headlining item of, of the survey, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for this year, something new that we wanted to look at was attrition, and um, you know, some of the the data that we shared in that press release. Uh, you didn't cover this in depth. So I I would love to share a little bit of what we found. So of course, you know, many of us are dealing with turnover, attrition, and um, we, we found that women are not necessarily leaving in greater droves or, or more frequently than men, but they are leaving and for pretty clear reasons. So we actually asked why entry-level women are leaving, why mid-level women are leaving, and why senior-level women are leaving. And there were some interesting differences. So at topping the list for all of them, though, was greater compensation. So essentially, women are saying, um, I do great work. I maybe don't feel like I'm fairly compensated, and I'm going to go somewhere where I feel like I could be more fairly compensated. So women are leaving uh, for pay, which is not surprising through um, through a, a tight labor market and a pandemic. But once we we drill down to kind of the second and third options, we we saw some differences. So um, we saw that entry level talent were more likely to leave for greater compensation. So they are being driven by you know an increase in pay uh, in in making a career move. At the mid-level, though, we saw that lack of career opportunities was a big reason why women are leaving at that level. So wherever a woman you know, in the middle of the organization where they're hitting, they're hitting a ceiling, they feel like they have nowhere to go, that's when they're leaving. And then, of course, at the senior level, what we found was interesting that um, topping the, the, the third most selected option was burnout. So these women, like many other senior executives, have taken on a lot through the past three years and are feeling burnout. So I think this tells us some of the things that we would want to be doing differently for entry level, really taking a look at pay, compensation, uh, even pay equity. For the mid-level, it means we need to be thinking about career pathing. How do we make sure people know what opportunities are available to them so they don't feel stuck and leave? And then for women at that senior level, we need to attend to their burnout, like prioritization, well-being. These are things that should be talked about at that level, but are, are maybe not as as acknowledged at a, a senior leadership level. Yeah. The, the, um, the career pathing is something, I mean, I can speak, I mean, I can speak to this in my own experience from working companies in that, you know, most companies seem to be very bad at providing what opportunities are available and educating you on what opportunities are available to advance your career. You know, I think that's just in general. I would <laughs> so, agree. Yes. I'm not, I'm not surprised that that's, that's a reason for the women as well, that, 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 that they feel like that and they don't feel like there's an option there. And, and maybe in many of these companies there's not even either. It's, and that's possible. And, and, those companies probably need to do a better job in that case. But I, I think in general, I think companies just need to do a better job of educating their employees overall on, on what options and what careers you can succeed in in the, in the organization. Agreed. Um, I think yeah. there's a big a big white space there for for supply chain as a as an industry. Yeah. Um, a, a, a final question, I think, um, just. And I think you maybe touched on this and on the measurement a few minutes ago when you talked about measuring progress. Um, but any advice out there for companies on on what they should do, how how they might want to approach the idea if they want to make their workforce a little more diversified? Yeah. So I, one thing that I often recommend is that 
we tailor our metrics and our targets to local environments. So, you know, the, the quickest way to turn management and leadership off from these initiatives and, of course, you know, in putting these on their, their scorecards to rally them against them is by creating targets that don't feel relevant to them. So we're always keen to think about the working environment, kind of the available talent pool in different locations and sites as a way of setting realistic targets that could always be expanded upon and edited and adjusted over time. So one, partner locally with your site leaders, um, have a real conversation of what the the talent pool looks like locally in order to set targets that people feel comfortable with and, and are are excited by, you know, feel like this is something we could really do. Um, And the other thing I think is um, making sure that we're, we are looking at representation, but maybe even thinking about some of those leading indicators of success. So usually when we lead with inclusion, diversity follows. So when people feel included and when people feel like they are welcome in an organization, they're more likely to join or to stay. So we see improvement in representation. So don't forget about the the leading indicators of success for gender diversity, which is inclusion. And of course, you, you can... Um, at Gartner, we have uh, what we call the Gartner Inclusion Index, which is how we measure inclusion. But however you do it, uh, I recommend thinking about how we measure that first as a way of knowing whether we're going to improve representation across. Yeah, good advice. Great advice. Um, th- thank you so much for your time today. Um, before we leave, uh, for people who want to know more about this and more research that maybe you guys have done or, or research that you can recommend out there, are there places they can go to look to find out some more information on this? and Absolutely. So I, I would recommend um, Awesome actually has the report in a, a, a PDF format. If you go to their website or you search for Awesome Gartner Women in Supply Chain 2023, you'll be able to find the report and some of the findings that we just talked about um, more in, in depth. So I, I would use Awesome if you can. Um, if you're not already uh, a member or supporter, then it's, it's a great way to explore them as well. Great. Um, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank Gartner analyst Carolyn Chumakov for speaking with us today. Um, thank you very much, Carolyn. I greatly appreciated the conversation. Um, special thank you to all of you out there listening as well today. We greatly appreciate you spending time with us today. Um, for Supply Chain Management Review and the Talking Supply Chain Podcast, I'm Brian Strait. Thank you for listening. Talking Supply Chain is produced by Supply Chain Management Review and Peerless Media. You can find it on scmr.com, supplychain247.com, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. For more information on this topic or to sign up for our weekly newsletter, a print or a digital subscription to our publication, visit scmr.com. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For Supply Chain Management Review, I'm Brian Strait, and thank you for listening.